Churches go through seasons, seasons of growth, seasons of stability, and sometimes seasons of trial and, and challenge. Our faith goes through seasons. Sometimes our faith is strong, and, and everything about being a Christian is exciting and, and fresh. And other times our faith is weak, and our hearts are filled with more questions than answers, more doubt than confidence. I've taken comfort in the fact that the Psalms are filled with why, where, and when questions. Why do the righteous suffer? Where are you when I'm hurting, God? When will you show up, God? God so welcomes these kinds of questions that he made them a part of Scripture. A high percentage of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. And asking questions like this doesn't make you a bad Christian. It makes you like David, a man after God's own heart. I had planned on finishing a series, the, the What's Up With That series, but I decided that in this season as a church, as we're dealing with so many difficult things, I want to focus on a different set of messages, messages that are focused on hope and encouragement and bolstering our faith in light of things that are so hard to accept. I think in, in the space of a week and a half, dealing with Shar's diagnosis and dealing with the loss of our dear friend Kim are, are huge blows for us as a church. And I look back over the year behind us and think of other people who we have lost. And not only people that we have lost, but people who we have not lost to death, but have lost to, to immobility, just not being able to be with us. In a passage that we will study next week, First uh, Peter chapter 1, Peter wrote, Now for a season, if need be, we are in heaviness through manifold trials. And I think that describes us as a church, a church in a season of heaviness uh, due to manifold trials, the trial of a pandemic, the trial of a world that is polarized and divided, the trial of a difficult cancer diagnosis for our friend Shar the trial of an early and untimely death for our friend Kim. Both Kim and Shar are models of selfish devotion to others, and many of us are asking, why them? Why now? We are dealing with the trial of seemingly unanswered prayers. Today we're going to consider an event in the life of Jesus from Mark chapter 6 the story of Jesus coming to his disciples in the midst of a storm. Matthew, Mark, and John each include versions of this story. All three of them place it right after the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two small fishes. This is an important detail. This is one in a series of miracles that display Jesus' supernatural power over nature, over storms, over demons, over sickness, and even over death. Mark's gospel is fast-paced. There's lots of action. It's unusual in that there's very little detail about Christ's birth or his death. 
Mark leaves out the Sermon on the Mount and other sections of dialogue. The other thing that's interesting about Mark's gospel is it leaves lots of unanswered questions. There are lots of mysteries in the gospel of Mark where stories end abruptly without a clean, clear ending that's filled with hope. It's a gospel that is designed to make us wrestle and, and to put ourselves into the story and to think about what they may mean. Such is the story of Jesus walking on the water. Let me read this passage to you from Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he, dismissed the, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them, and he said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed because they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. I'm going to make just a few observations about this great story and then close with a couple of points of application. The first thing I want to note about the story is that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and cross the Sea of Galilee. The word may means that it was an order. Jesus ordered his disciples into a boat that would take them into a storm. Verse 45 says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. Why? Why would a loving Jesus order his disciples into a storm? Why does God allow us to go through storms? I think there are a couple of reasons. Uh, one of these I'm going to elaborate on next week. But there are things that happen to us during storms that make us stronger and better people. God uses storms to shape our character and our faith. And as I look back on storms in my own life, uh, while I was in them, they made no sense. I couldn't understand why God was allowing them. And yet God used them to strengthen my faith. He used them to, to position me for other opportunities. And he used them to bless me. That's one reason, I think, why, why God allows us to go through difficult times. The other reason is that we are on a journey that isn't finished yet. We shouldn't expect the middle of the story to look like the end of the story. Something I read once that really resonated with me is that if your story isn't good, that's a sign that your story isn't finished yet. I believe that the story of each and every Christian ends in triumph. 
I believe the teaching of Romans 8.28 that all things do work together for good for those who have been called to faith in Christ. I believe that at the end of time we won't look back and think, God, I wish you had done that differently. Instead, I think we will cry out, thank you, thank you, thank you. While in a storm, we must cling to the belief that God is in control and that God is good. And there are times that is all that we have to cling to. The next thing I want to note about the story is that as soon as Jesus ordered his disciples into the boat, he began to pray for them. Here is one of the most profound things about the Trinity. Jesus and the Holy Spirit pray to the Father on our behalf. Think about that. Whatever storm you find yourself in, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Not just praying for you in, in a half-hearted way, but, but praying in a way that, that is filled with groans on our behalf. Romans 8, 26 to 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. It's only after verses 26 and 27 that we get to verse 28. And we know that all things, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The Holy Spirit is praying for Central Christian Church as we navigate the trials that we are in. The Holy Spirit is groaning to God the Father on behalf of Sam and Samuel, and Carly, and Ned, and Judy, lifting them up in his prayers. As Shar faces her battle with cancer, not only are we praying for her, the Holy Spirit is praying for her. According, and according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, God already knows exactly what she needs. Our, our prayers don't need to be long. We're not informing God of what he needs to do. Um, God knows uh, our needs. And another comfort from this story is that not only does Jesus pray for us, but Jesus sees us while we were in the storm. Verse 47 says, later that night the boat was in the middle of the lake. He was alone on land, and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. According to some of the other gospel accounts, they were three and a half miles out into the middle of the lake. It would have placed them in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It was a dark, stormy night. This is a supernatural scene. Psalm 33, verse 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Have you ever felt that God is distant? Have you ever felt his absence in the middle of a trial? Have you ever felt that your prayers were bouncing off the ceiling and God was not paying attention? Scripture tells us over and over again that those perceptions are false perceptions. But God sees us, he is with us, and he is aware of our trials. When in the storm we may lose sight of God, but he does not lose sight of us. And here's another thing that I found to be true. 
it is when we are in storms that God reveals himself to us. I've discovered things about God during storms that I don't think I could have learned on sunny days. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. Only Mark adds this detail. It should prompt us to say, what? The disciples are in the middle of a storm, their lives are at risk, and Jesus is going to walk past them? What's going on with that? The phrase pass by would trigger imagery from the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, it reads, Then Moses said, Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face. No one can see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. We find the same phrase in 1 Kings when God reveals himself to Elijah. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Sometimes when we are in the middle of a storm, it is hard to see God. And so it was with Job, who said, God performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes by, I can't see him. When he goes by, I can't perceive him. Here's the beautiful thing about the new covenant made available to us through Christ. In the Old Testament, people could not look on the face of God. In the New Testament, Jesus came and walked with us. He doesn't just pass by the boat. He climbs into their boat. Back to the story. But then when they saw him walking by the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Terrified. Their first reaction isn't comfort, but, but fear. But immediately Jesus responds. Immediately he spoke to them, and he said, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Take courage is an interesting phrase. It means to exude boldness. It means to radiate confidence. It's a phrase that, that, that talks about a sense of courage that comes from deep within us, but is evident on the outside. When Jesus is with us in a storm, we can exude boldness. We can radiate confidence. Why? Because Jesus has power over the storm. Nothing can happen to us in the storm that he does not allow, and he will not allow things that will not eventually play out for our good. Jesus says, take courage, and then he says, it is I. Another phrase that we can skip right over and not understand its significance, but the words that Jesus actually used were, I am. A phrase that God used to identify himself in the Old Testament. A phrase that, that would have resonated with his Jewish audience. And finally, he says, do not be afraid. Take courage. I am. You don't need to be afraid. 
Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Psalm 23, verse 4, passage that I referenced at Kim's funeral yesterday, says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. In the New Testament, the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all of our understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then there is a beautiful twist in the story. That the twist in the story is that Jesus doesn't pass by them. He stops and he climbs into the boat with them. Verse 51 reads, and he climbed in the boat with them, and the wind died down. Then Mark adds an interesting detail about the disciples. He notes that the disciples were completely amazed. Why were they amazed? They were amazed because they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. The very day before the storm, Jesus had miraculously fed 5,000 people with five small loaves of bread and two fishes. How often we are like the disciples. We forget how well God has cared for us in the past. I think of different times in my life where I was in a state of panic over things that were happening in my life. And at each and every time without exception, God met me there and cared for me. I cannot think of a single time where God failed to show up. There was one more detail to the story mentioned not by Mark, but by John. John 6, verse 20 says, But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were, then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The last observation is that when Jesus is in our boat, we can be assured that we will reach our destination. God knows where our stories are headed. He knows the end of the story, and it's a story that will leave us standing with multitudes of people from all nations and languages and tribes shouting out our praise to God. That's the end of our story. That's the end of Kim's story, where Shar's story is headed. That's where our church's story is headed. If you are in a trial right now that is difficult to comprehend, difficult to endure, that is the end of your story. Arms in the air, surrounded by multitudes of people, praising God for his goodness. I want to close with three points of application. Three things for you to take away from the story, and then we will come to the table together and focus on Christ's sacrifice for our sins. Here's the first point of application. We need to remind ourselves that God is sovereign, that nothing catches him by surprise. And even the difficult events in our lives are part of a plan to unveil his eternal kingdom and to bless us. 
is to remind ourselves of that. We need to camp on that thought. We need to cling to that thought. Second point of application. Yesterday at Kim Mulkey's funeral, there was lots of reminiscing. Lots of stories about the good things that Kim had done. The reason all three Gospels place the story immediately after the feeding of the 5,000 is to remind us to remember what God has done for us in the past. Not just for us, but to remember what God has done for previous generations of Christians. To, to think back through history of all of the times that Christians have gone through difficult times and all of the ways that God has blessed them and cared for them. And here is the final point of application where Chad leads us in a song. The final point of application is if you aren't already connected to Christ, you need to invite him into your boat. We are all in the same storm, but we are not all in the same boat. I don't know how I would have gotten through difficult times in my life without the presence of Holy, the Holy Spirit without the support of other believers, without the love of Jesus Christ. And I, I think uh, all of us could attest to that. And if there's anyone here who has not done that, we connect with Christ by committing our lives to following, to, to abiding by his teachings, to believing that he is who he says he is. And I wish that comfort uh, upon all of you. Let me say a prayer. And then Chad will uh, lead us in a song, and then we will come to the table together. Father, thank you for this beautiful story. Thank you for the demonstration of your power, uh, that there is nothing impossible for Jesus Christ. That the laws of nature don't apply to Jesus. Thank you for miracles that show that he has power over illness. Thank you for miracles that show that even death does not stop God's plan. Thank you for the assurance that the power of the resurrection is at work in those who believe. Thank you for the hope of the kingdom of heaven. Father, I pray for those who are hurting right now. Pray for us as a church. Father, I pray that just like the disciples who looked out and saw Jesus walking on the water, I pray that you would help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus and to draw comfort from his presence. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.